Why, hello, and welcome to Season 26, Episode 19 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Joey. I'm Terry. And thank you guys for joining us. Has everyone had a good week? Yeah. Yeah. What went like surprisingly fast. Yes. It was a little bit of a roller coaster, but then my boss was like, hey, you guys actually get Friday off. And I was like, what? What? Excellent. An actual three-day weekend, but the opposite. So I work Monday, but I'm off today. Oh, that's so cool. That's cool. I forget. Good. You guys are all working, aren't you? Nope, <clears throat> I'm not. I feel like there's a line in, in the Road Warrior where uh, it's like, "What's your problem, Max? Just wandering the desert one day, endlessly blurring into another." And I'm like, "That's that's what's going on right now. <laughs> like, I don't even know what day. It's just one day's endlessly blurring into another. I'm Mad Max wandering the desert." <laughs> Yeah, there's no more weekdays. It's, what game am I playing tonight? That's what day it is. <laughs> there's some truth to that. I'm like, is it, is it Sunday already? Do I have a game to play? Yeah. It's funny. I'm busier now than I was when I was working. Oh, for right. sure. Because you get to do all the things you were like, oh, I wanted to play all these games, and there's certain people I wanted to connect with, and you have the time. It's pretty exciting. I know. Yeah. I also feel like I'm busier, even though I'm still working, but also additional games, additional, like, events, Zoom events, things to do, connect with people. It's been really nice. Yeah, for sure. Not mad this week. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are are all so creative and so motivated. I just have been sitting around doing nothing. I'm not motivated. I have people around me who are motivated, and they ask me to do things, and that's nice. Like showing up here on a Friday night. You know, that is my deal. I am task-oriented. I won't do something for myself, but if somebody says, I need you to do this by this time, it'll get done. But otherwise, I won't do it. Oh, no, I've just started playing games that they're my job. Like, I will sit and play The Old Republic for six hours during the work work day, because that is now my job. Are you doing it online? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love The Republic online. That's mm-hmm. The Old Republic. Yeah. It's great. I played it for years. Well, anyway. Oh, hey, Stu. Talk. What's, What's up on? with you, Stu? I was wondering <laughs> the same. I was like, Stu's quiet. Oh, I'm Weird. Still working. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, gl- I'm delighted that I don't have to go tear down fair tomorrow. that's the only i mean it's not worth the the cost of not having it but it is nice to have a memorial day weekend when i'm not out in the hot sun unscrewing sets right and you and i you and i both have children that have birthdays around this time so it always gets complicated anyway right thursday right that's right they're on thursday because they're a birthday Stu's daughter and my daughter are birthday twins oh happy birthday girls that's sweet so. I missed fair this year, though, but I, I am happy that you guys get that time with your family, though. That does make me happy. Yes, that is nice. I really miss performing, but I don't miss going to fair and tearing down and hauling water and trying to get everybody, you know, laundry. All I don't miss you know, all that stuff. I just miss the food. I miss, like, scotch eggs and, like, the freaking, like, artichokes and, like, the big legs of, like, meats and, like, all the good... Uh, I miss you guys singing. I, that was oh, all you, so you guys are so talented. I freaking love you guys. I love your songs. I love seeing you guys up there, and I I really do miss that. That and, uh, that's what I miss is that yeah. is the audience. I feel like someday if if we ever get to Broadway, if any one of us breaks loose, it's probably it'd probably be Joey first. We're gonna get there. Definitely, and they're gonna be like, oh, it's so tiring. Isn't this hard to do? And like, no, you guys get water for free. There's a dressing room. 
air conditioning. Hello. Air conditioning. There's not a lot of air. It depends on the theater. I've been oh, yeah. backstage of a lot of Broadway shows. You, you don't I feel let like this... I'm like, but like, it's not as pretty as it's almost like the fair. I, I, I've been, I've seen your, I've seen your backstage <laughs> and um, I've been, I've been, it was backstage a couple years ago. Like on a little tour to visit a lot of my friends who are in shows or, or were in shows. And uh, you'd be surprised. Like one of the shows, they were literally air drying and they had like Febreze all the laundry. Like yep. it was hanging up and down the stairs of the hallway. This is a Broadway show, you guys. And that's fine because <laughs> the actors don't have to do it themselves. They have right. people that do all of that. They and have amazing dressers and teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after their two hour show, they're done. They don't have yeah. to hang out for the rest of the day to go do something. At the well, end. unless it's and a go do five more Saturday shows. Sunday. Yeah. Well, if it's a shuto day, that's fine. But still, you know, I'll, I'll be like, I'll I'll do your four hours a day, no problem. I got that. I mean, Depends on the show. Unless you're in like something like 12. Harry Potter, that's eight hundred hours, and it's the full, you know, right. Some of the shows are wild. <laughs> I would rather do a full day affair than have to do a two show day of the producers again, right? <laughs> Anyway, what is this podcast about? Oh, yeah, that's right. Broadway. In this episode... (laughs) Now about a Broadway. Yeah. We're waiting. (laughs) In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG (laughs) podcast, Ryan from Florida writes in about time. Uh, Kurt writes in about how he turned one random idea into a campaign. And Mike writes in about playing and GMing blind. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum happyjacksforum.com that's happyjacksforum.com and we're also on many social meteors we're on a lot of funny things happen on the way in the forum (laughs) (laughs) something (laughs) 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 I love that I love that fucking musical (laughs) yes I love that (laughs) then how come you don't laugh at my funny thing happened on the way to decorum I say on stage at fair I do monster I have to how do you know I'm not laughing (laughs) <laughs> it's trying to stay in character, that's why. I'm the straight man, you get a hat hit for that. Why start again? I may have laughed the first time you said it, you don't know. <laughs> you're, you're backs to me, you have no idea what my reaction is. That's, Half the that's, time Stu doesn't you. know what we say. Every now and again I'll say something I've been saying for years, and where Stu can hear it, and he doubles over laughing, and he goes, well that's great, I'm like, I've been saying that for five years! <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, so, yeah, we're on all of the social medias. Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. And if you would like to watch the show live, you can watch at 7.08 p.m. Pacific time. We try to start at 7. Um, at happyjacks.org slash live. That's happyjacks.org slash live. And we can go on to the first email. Oh, yes. I did... Uh, I I do miss fair... But I don't dis- miss what I would be doing tomorrow. I have to say, I have to be honest. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying. Is it? I mean, they're saying the sound. The life of a performer is hard. There's rehearsals and there's all of that. But I, but all the other stuff we do on top of it is just. It was hard when I was in my 20s, and it's not. It's certainly not any easier now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and 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 now we have the sound system with no electricity. So there's the batteries that I have to haul home right. and haul out to fair and charge them up overnight and those things each one of those boxes weighs like 90 pounds <clears throat> yeah and there's three of them yeah all right um who would like to read the first email uh, this is uh time to talk about timing from ryan in Florida. I'll, uh, I'll do it why not okay and and the, the, some of these are a little lengthy so if we want to split them up we can certainly do that one is really lengthy wow yeah that middle one's That's big good ones all right why do you think i uh volunteered to read the first one uh Hey, y'all. Fairly new listener. 
I have written to you before and thought I would once again amuse you with my spelling and punctuation mistakes. Today, I would like to talk about time in games. I found timing to be the X factor for a good game and a bad game, but it is a topic that is not addressed a lot for some reason. Timing is one of those things that is simple but not easy. Things go, I'm, what, things go, I'm going to try to write about a way I raise action or horror tension. Credit where credit is due. I got this from CIC RPG, Index Card RPG, and it was it has worked fantastically for what it is. I'll have to look that taking up. Taking a mechanical, yeah. Uh, taking a mechanical approach to this, design an encounter with a timer die. When action starts, roll a die. In that number of turns slash rounds, depending on how tense you want it, something bad is going to happen to complicate the situation for the players. This doesn't need to be an outright failure. It is a countdown till the gun over the mantle goes off. Nice Chekhov's gun reference. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, this requires GM to come up with a big issue that is going to come up as a result of taking too long in the action. This works best for the game itself, doesn't introduce complications mechanically, but you can do it with any system if you make this game so long uh, as you make this something that is more impactful than a normal complication. Some, uh, trying this Set up one more time. Tying this to a boss's special ability, a bunch of minions showing up to reinforce, or the floor everyone is fighting on collapses and everyone and takes everyone with it to the floor below. Hope that one doesn't collapse too. Uh, this is not about screwing your players. This is about making them have to deal with problems expeditiously to ramp up the action pacing. It also isn't happening every encounter, be it combat, social, environmental, or exploration. Do not make the thing that happens when the timer runs to be so big that it can be a game-ender. Rocks fall, you all die. It's not a good way to end the count unless uh, you establish that this is a do-or-die scenario, like Indiana Jones outrunning that boulder. The GM controls the structural integrity of the floor everyone is fighting on. What the police are doing at this time, or everything else that is going on in the world, so it isn't anything the GM isn't already doing. It just puts a metric on it uh, so you can measure it. This is about making everyone's gaming experience more fun, and there is no more fun coming past that finish line at the last second. This is a mechanic for action, but that action can be a fistfight, an argument, searching for shelter, or whatever event will impact the game. That can be you, uh, that can be you have D6 rounds to convince the security guard to let you pass, or the Wetworks team will be sent to deal with your team shadow run. It can be you have D8 turns to find shelter before the sandstorm hits and scatters your caravan, or D4 turns to refill your ship and make your jump before the raiders scramble fighters to take down your freighter. This is a good, uh, this is a good mechanic, can be meta or keep players guessing about what's coming, but the <clears throat> point is to let players know they have limited time to do X or something is going to happen. Hope you like this one. It is a handy trick to turn an okay action sequence into an exciting one. Drink and be happy about the lack of PS. Ryan from Florida. <laughs> no PS. No PS. What are you doing? No PS. Right? Sloppy Great. showmanship. Where's the PS? Right? <laughs> it seems like the last time I was on, we had a question about how to how to up the stakes with uh, timing and uh, uh, with um, a timer clicking down. And I wish we'd had this info then because this is a really this is another great alternative yeah. for for building intention into a into what could otherwise be an ordinary game. And in a lot of movies, timers are a huge source of tension and source of, of I mean, because you're just waiting, you're watching totally. anything from the anything from the literal ticking bomb that they have to defuse to 
to you know uh, Iron Man trying speed. to trying to you're on a the, bus trying to get the <laughs> the missile up or speed yeah that's a great one or the Iron Man trying to get the missile up before the window closes you know all of that stuff is is time oriented and it's a really great way to ratchet up the tension but hard to recreate in an RPG without it getting you know boring or right. stupid because because people can get up and go oh hey the pizza's here let's just wait in the action and we'll go and it doesn't actually succeed in making any tension I, I I do like the fact that the players don't necessarily know what it is that's going to happen when the time runs out mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's an interesting idea although I, I think maybe foreshadowing that as time goes on like if the floor is going to collapse maybe you know the the GM rolls the die and everyone sees oh that something bad's going to happen in five rounds and then maybe in four rounds, people start hearing creaks from the floor, or maybe right. you know someone's jumping over a certain section that seems a little too springy or something. So you can kind of foreshadow what might be happening to allow them to sort of mitigate that as as time moves on. I like the idea as a way to uh, move players forward and they get stuck or and they're stuck in an action. I know I've done that a couple times, and I love when the GM puts the D six out and just starts flipping it over like it's. It's a really fun, exhilarating moment. I don't know how to plan for that, though, because if I'm planning for something for a you know a relatively big fight, I want there to be that dramatic tension, but I want there there's timing for the story arc, and like I don't want the timer to counteract the timing of the story arc and, and have it you know mess things up that way. So I would almost use it as a emergency like light a fire under their ass. I don't know if I would necessarily build my encounter around that timer. Unless it was part of the boss's move set, like in some games where you you roll a d6 and it becomes a six and you use a special move. Yeah, I th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it depends on your your table too, because it's like if you have a group of people who are notoriously bad at getting into action, like I can speak for myself, like me and some of my D and D crew are very slow, and then Abria will kick our butts uh, <laughs> because we're like we'd rather go to an oasis for like three hours instead of actually getting to any type of fight. So I know, yeah. Oh my god, the shop, oh the shopping trips. Yes, always. Like I love a detour, um, but sometimes we want to get to some freaking fights or some action. So. I think you know if you know your table and know that that's something you have in your back pocket that's something you can you know have at the ready because when you're preparing your gm sheet obviously there's a bunch of stuff you have in variables this is something to kind of keep maybe like like you said at the ready may not necessarily be built in but something that you can like release when needed at de- like detonate when ready so i like that idea and a lot actually was it fourth edition D that had like boss boss monsters Got some ability when they hit like half hit points or something. Am that I, I think it that? was fourth edition. I think it started in fourth edition and they translated it to fifth, where they have you know in their move set, you know, roll. They have one of their master like their big nukes already set, and then keep rolling the six every round. And if they roll a six, it's back up. Yeah, I thought there was something like when their hit points reach a, a certain level, they 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 can it triggers an ability or something. So maybe that was it. I'm sure that was fourth. I don't know. I don't even have my fourth. It edition. probably was. That sounds like a fourth edition idea. Yeah, but because it's because it's right out of an MMORPG. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but I mean I mean that, that certainly something like that unexpected would because I mean you're always going to have those players with that encyclopedic knowledge of the of the monster manual who are going to know oh this thing's going to do something horrible and its hit points are whittled down but if it's something that's a surprise and that isn't expected I think it would be kind of interesting to do I, I might try that next time I run 
I run What's nice is some games kind of have it built in. Like a lot of PTA games recommend every time the you know the enemy takes a hit, they get a hard move, and so you can kind of bank those and almost use that as your countdown clock. Okay, they've taken three hard moves. They haven't done anything yet. The players have provoked them to use any of the hard moves. Now I'm going to nuke them effectively. Like it's right. a, a similar a similar idea, but one where the, the players are kind of affecting the result. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful though. This, less ed- I think you have to be careful that this mechanic doesn't become just sort of a. I'm th- reminded of a really old email we had about wandering damage. Anytime the player wandered off the off the the railroad or off literally off the path, they got wandering damage, and it was just like uh, just a random thing would happen. The guy rolled a random dice, and oh, you're being attacked by uh, kobolds or whatever. So it's like I, I think you have to be careful about every time the players are you think they're taking too long to make a decision or doing something, which might in the player's term might actually mean planning. Uh, that you start rolling dice on them to force them to do stuff. I could see you could get abused and get old, and, and your players might get angry if you do it too often. Well, I yeah, could, I can see this. So this is like a tool. special occasion tool. Then this is I like can... when you want to like up the ante. You're coming towards like the middle or towards the end of some wonderful campaign or something, and you want to make sure it really hits and fires, and people get really like have a night to remember or whatever. Then you right. push this out. And occasionally, if your players are you know doing doing. Uh, decisions and, and dressing uh, as opposed to actually uh, doing something proactive and then maybe you toss bring it up but I think it's if if not used judiciously it could come off as uh, a punishment to your players yeah you don't want to come off as adversarial I think yeah I think Terry's right it is kind of a cherry on top of an encounter not a uh, ketchup of an encounter I should you know where you just or salt where you just put it on everything and now that's now that's what it is. Or more what like happened? break glass in an in, in emergency or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, this is like, I need this now. And you don't have to roll a d6. It could be a d10 or something, too. But, I mean, I can see if you roll a 1, all of a sudden, <laughs> the encounter becomes really quick. Yeah. But uh, I like it. It's nice to have a randomizer. And at least, I can't see how this could be game-breaky at all. This is just another thing that you can throw in to your games to give it more flavor and to give it uh, to give it uh, to, at least to mimic something that's on a timer mm-hmm. without it you know, and still have a randomizer attached to it so it's not just the GM being a dick. I'm and like, what's nice is if they don't know it's coming, mm-hmm. if you roll a one on that D10, okay great maybe I lessen it by half because they're not supposed to, like that sucks what's happened in the first round of combat if you roll a ten, you know what they've been doing this a bit they could take a little bit more and then like up it a bit. Like you have that, you have that, your hand on the dial, depending on that, that round timer. That's true. I, 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 I see myself only using this when I think the players are dicking around during a combat and taking too long, like intentionally, or if they're not taking it seriously, or if it's gotten to the point where they're, they're just not at all concerned about the combat. Mm-hmm. That would be something that would be like. But that's me okay. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a D D game after everybody's rested. Right. right oh yeah. My God. Yeah. We have all the hit points. We're just hanging out. Because the, the second encounter of the day, that's the one where it gets a little hairy. It's like I used to pull my dailies. Now what? <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ryan from Florida, for the email. Um, uh, the next one, uh, how, do, how I turned a random idea into a campaign from Kurt. If someone would like to start this, and then we can split it, because this is a this is like a three-pager. I'll start it with oh, you. Oh, no. no. This is like... 
Yeah, this it's, is like a, a three and a half it's pager. A, we're going to have a moment. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Um, uh, how I turned a random idea into a campaign from Kurt. Hello, hello, Appy Jackers. I'm telling you, it's how it's typed, people. So if you it think is. I'm crazy, that is how it is typed. Captain Cabbage Smelly Pants Esquire the Third here. Charger 347 on the Discord. And another goddamn Kurt IRL. Because the Happy Jacks fandom didn't have enough of those already. Right. Ah, ah, ah. I have, have the haws. Um, you have a after, lot of Kurtz. You do have a lot of Kurtz. After hearing that you're in a desperate need for emails, I figured I'd finally write in for the first time. Thank you. Oh, excellent. And take the chance to write in with just some random musings and methodologies for how I come up with ideas for my games. Granted, I haven't had a group in on almost a decade. But that doesn't stop the voices, so let's get to it. The most common way for me to come up with ideas is just seeing something and just letting my mind wander. For example, years ago, when Mythbusters did a duct tape special, they made a canoe out of duct tape, which made me remember that cloth canoes were a thing. And then for whatever reason, the idea of building a cloth canoe out of a flying carpet. So I got to thinking, why is it the trope of the flying fantasy ship is always a wood boat with a giant vulnerable balloon on top of it? Why not, if the setting allows it, make a lightweight wooden or metal framework and surround that with flying carpet material? <laughs> if the right enchantments weren't acted, you could make it also have a stronger defense than your average flying carpet with shields of magical force or possibly floating mundane shields that hover around it like a school of symbiotic fish. <laughs> so, this is brilliant. So, as I was thinking of these fantastical flying fabric frigates, Frigates, frigates. I remembered a robotics company that was building lightweight penguin robots filled with helium that could fly around a room like penguins swimming in the ocean. I want it. Right? I'm like already obsessed. And I thought, why not? Why not just combine these ideas and make flight worthy aquatic fish ships made from flying carpet material? into it okay imagine you're standing on a dock protruding from the rock of an enormous mountain range as jumbled and chaotic as the barrier reef of australia surrounded on all sides by schools of flying fish ships in vibrant dyes as varied as the schools of fish that you'd see on the reef now that sounds like a game i'd like to play in especially if you add in some more specific details someone else taking this next oh, week? oh sure i'll take the rest okay which leads me to my second methodology, steal from the grades. Yeah, yeah, everybody does it, but if you do it well enough, not only will no one know when you reveal the truth, it'll blow your group's mind a second time. For this example, I'm going to steal an idea from the Legend of the Elder Scrolls universe and take the reason for why there are no dwarves in that setting. For those who are unaware, Elder Scrolls games have no dwarves because some dwarven sorcerers cast a spell that unintentionally dragged all the dwarves into a ghost realm leaving the entire civilization of advanced technologies behind for the rest of the world to find. So, why not do the same thing here? Except, instead of making it dwarves, the ones who screwed up, make it the humans. <laughs> because we humans screw up enough, right? Yep. Sure. <laughs> because if there's one thing that I've learned from listening to Happy Jack's D&D actual plays, humans are boring as shit. And why would anyone <laughs> want to play them? Reach! Hallelujah! Warning, this is only a joke. This is not to be taken seriously. Some of my closest friends like to play humans. Some of my closest friends are actually humans. Um, <laughs> like to play humans in D&D, and each to their own. This has been only a joke, and now back to our previously written email. Which adds... Which adds a delicious detail. When all the humans get dragged into another dimension, what happens to the half-races? It would seem to me that all of them become half-shades? 
monsters of horror caught between two worlds, suffering and looking for revenge for those who wronged them into this horrid existence, and attacking anyone and everything that gets in their way. Now, imagine you're on the same dock, desperately fighting off half-elf, half-ghostly shade monsters, intent on making you suffer, while others of your group are trying their damnedest to grapple a butterfly fish ship from a passing school so the party can make their escape. See, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> now, all we have to do is determine the whys and why nots. How did we get here? What is the group looking for? What did they find instead? How do they get away from here? Are, there, are they even done here? Or is there still more they need to do? Here, <clears throat> here, here is where Happy Jacks helped me become a better GM with session zero questions and answer sessions. And games like Decima, Gold Lesser Games, get your copy today. What's Decima? <laughs> it's never <laughs> been easier to make your players doom themselves with their own imaginations. That's genius. <laughs> Let me say that again for emphasis. It's never been easier to make your players doom themselves with their own imaginations. <laughs> but let's go back a step. Your party is fighting ghostly half-elf shades, but half-elf shades aren't in the monster manual. So, just to do the pros, just do as the pros do, reskin, mutilate, and mutate. Reskins allow you to take different monsters that have nothing thematically to do with the story you're aiming for and make it work for situations and monster styles that you want to use. Alternatively, mutilation allows you to make a monster that is partially uh, that your party has no hope of defeating in the long drawn out battle and make it a manageable make it manageable by handing them a half dead creature to rectify. One of my favorite memories of GMing was when I was running my group in second edition D&D. The system was not the reason for a good memory. Fuck Thacko. For a kid that couldn't do math in his head to save his life, that was a nightmare of subtracting negatives. <laughs> I had them raiding a giant catacomb, and as soon as they opened the front door, they were immediately overrun by an enormous, non-aggressive rat swarm, desperate to get away from whatever was going on down in the crypt. This unnerved the group right away, so when they opened the first door inside the tomb, they were attacked by an almost dead, six-legged, giant yellow rat monster, and they nearly shat themselves. <laughs> <laughs> now, normally this thing called it Osquip, Osquip, uh, for those who want to look it up, does an average of 2 to 12 points of damage on each bite. But since my party were low-level slubs, there was no way that they'd survive that kind of punishment. So I did the next best thing I could and, mu and mutilated yeah, and mutilated the shit out of it. This thing got the crap beat out of it before the party even touched it. Since it was at half health, it was missing a leg, and one of its giant-ass teeth was cracked right in half, dealing damage to itself with each bite and reducing the effective biting power to a survivable 1d6 damage per bite. Another tactic for this is slightly this the slight alteration through magical mutation. In a different campaign, <clears throat> the party was wandering a barren wasteland of magically radiated husks of civilization. When they discovered a blasted out holy building, they disturbed a group of neon blue hobgoblins that stank of ozone and wielded solid metal weapons with not a trace of non-conductive material on them. When the party got hit by one of these freaking hobgoblins and discovered that they were mutated with lightning and magical electricity coursed through the magical weapons they wielded, dealing shock damage with each swing, making the fight more difficult without giving out too much of a reward with multiple shock damage capable of magic weapons at the end of the fight. Which leads, yeah, because otherwise, you know, let's do something. Hey, can we use those weapons? Oh, shit. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. remember the rhinoceroses? 
yes. the D&D campaign, yeah. You guys, yep. you, you guys they, the par- they party killed someone who was right mounted, had a was their mount was a rhinoceros. And they yeah, killed they them. They were all orcs, right? Yeah, they, I think the they were orcs. You know. the, the next, and, they, and somehow the party ended up getting a second one, too. Yeah, I think you guys are doing it. Yeah. at the end of the game, right? Well, I mean, rhinoceri are just like triples. They just multiply out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> That's uh, what I so heard. When the party got hit by one of these freaky hobgoblins, they discovered that they were mutated with. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay. Which leads me to my next tactic the self destructive boss fight. With the necromancer boss at the end of the catacomb in the previous game, and the high priest of, with the shock jocks in the barren wasteland game, I introduced the party to a monstrous enemy. Oh, excuse me, that started strong, but weakened with each massive attack they made, literally draining themselves with each attack. For the necromancer, the magical artifact that took over his body drained him of his life force, giving the crystal the capability to raise a zombie uh, for each hit point it drained from him. For the shock jock priest, the power of his lightning strike attack was entirely dependent on how many of his apprentice shock jocks joined in on his magic circle and how many literally burnt out each time he attacked. I will never I will never forget the look of terror that my party had when that first lightning bolt shot out and almost wiped their barbarian tank off the map. They were furious and desperate for cover, but as soon as they saw how one of the circle hobgoblins slumped to the ground, a charred husk, they knew they had to play it smart and force it to kill itself instead of the party. By shifting between cover and taking pot shots at the apprentices, the party was able to weed down the blast to a manageable levels until they were the last one standing. Hopefully you all thought this email was interesting, or at least entertaining, but alas, this email is getting long as it is, so I'll have to save my horror stories till another missing... Oh, I want horror stories. Love horror stories. Yes. I've got some doozies to tell you, like the time I extorted money from my group to support my D&D supplementary book addiction, by <laughs> guilt-gripping them with the fact that I had fronted most of the capital for our group to begin with, multiple books, a place to play, free snacks and soda, which got nixed real quick once I realized I could decimate a 12-pack in one night. <laughs> Let's just say they weren't happy, but they paid. They all paid. See, persuasion is magic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounded way more ominous than what actually happened. Till next time, Jackers. <laughs> oh my god, Kurt, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, at me next time because I want in on whatever game this is. Uh, this <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Um, I I have often liberally reskinned enemies. I mean, I've often sometimes taken what looked to be an ogre and used troll stats or orc stats just to, to mix things up. Or sometimes I'll have a really big orc commander that maybe has ogre stats but it still looks like an orc. An orc. I mean, I'm, I've done that a lot. And it, it, it does keep your players guessing because all of a sudden they're like, I thought it was an orc! Oh my god, why is it regenerating? Alright? You know? It... it it can be fun, but you, again, you do have to be careful, especially with, I remember with 4E, everything was so granular and thought out. If you started moving the sliders around too much, you could overpower your boss or underpower your, your bosses. Yeah. It was... Um, I I love this idea of fucking with what's known. My only concern, and my only note would be, make sure it's consistent all the way through. If yeah. you have those shock jock hobgoblins, and they have lightning abilities, and they do these certain things a certain way... If they encounter this creature again, make sure it works exactly the same way. 
as a player, nothing frustrates me more than like, oh, I've encountered this in your game. I understand how the world works now, and then having the rules changed on me out of nowhere, it it personally drives me nuts. Like I, I need that ground, that bedrock, even if it's different from normal D and D, just so I know where I'm at in the world, and that would. That would drive me nuts. But I love the idea of moving this around and fucking with things. And yeah, change elements and change weapons and change species. Go for it. I, I especially like when people share their, their sort of method for creativity, how they they come up with their ideas for campaigns or for game worlds, because everyone does it a little differently. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it just kind of pops into my head. Very rarely is it is it as as uh, more I'm looking for uh, not formulaic but um, as procedural as this. For me, it's just like entirely random. I don't I don't know if I'd call this necessarily procedural. This feels very much like mental wiki walking. Yeah. I can which do that. I'm all for. That's how I do most of my things. Like when I create characters, I have. A base idea, and then I let my mind start wandering, and oh, I like that. I'll hop to that rock, and oh, I like that. And all of a sudden, I have a character I didn't think I was going to have when I first started, but they're fully fledged out and they're super awesome. Right. Remember that quote it's never been easier to make your players doom themselves with their own imagination. <laughs> it's so true. That's the, that's the gold. Is is really taking that and harnessing their fears or whatever their imaginations are coming up with, and meeting them with that. I think that's so brilliant. Um, that's some of my favorite games are those when I'm just like, oh my god! But I, it, it, you forget and it comes full circle. You know what I mean? Then when they when they're able to bring that back around and call it back um, and kill you, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I want that quote on wall art that I can hang above my gaming table. You need it. Yeah, I feel like you can get some Etsy designer to like do that for you, right. <laughs> I, it, or I a fan, someone out there. I mean, and, and, and even like in a system again, like Traveler, where you, you randomly come up with these things that that screw over your own character and the group. There is still a, there's still an amount of the players doing it to themselves, and you know? it's like they're, when they make a connection. What if you and I? What if you? And and even with Stu's questions, even if you don't have an official system that that gives that to you with your questions and stuff, you can definitely set up and, and let the players do them themselves or at least come up with um, interesting things that you can then pull into to mess with their characters. That's what Stu says all the time. It's, uh, I think it's key to any role-playing game is to make sure that that happens to some extent. Yeah, but challenge their connections that they have with each other too, whatever they've mm-hmm. set up, you know, in that pregame. Mm-hmm. Like our dear friend shouted out Decima, I think is really great at looking at that and like really establishing those relationships. I think if you with or without that, you need to like really dive in with your players and figure out what bonds you can push, um, and what monsters will help do that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. It's like, it's a it's a staple now. Like you have to you have to do that. You you have to even if you're not playing a BTA game or you're not using Decima, use those questions. They work so well, and it your game's going to be stronger for it no matter what. I agree. Oh, let me just uh, give a shout out to and anyone who's in the um, the bar chat room in the Discord for the GameX Virtual Con. That's right. That's going on this weekend. I tried to find a link for the thing and I can't find it. There's I didn't see a link on strategicon.net. 
And I checked an email I got from Jim, and I don't see any links anywhere. I don't know how people get there. I don't know. So if someone in the if someone in the Twitch chat room knows, let me know, and I'll and I'll uh, mention it now. All right. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, yet another Kurt. That's five. Brilliant. Five Kurt. Again, like tribbles. Right. Uh, blinded by the dice from Mike. Howdy, Jackers. My name is Mike from Indiana. I've been listening to Happy Jacks for two years, which coincides with the time when I started losing my vision. I've been role playing since 1983. So when I started listening to podcasts as an alternative to television, I sought RPG podcasts. I started with Through the Boot, which led me to Happy Jacks. Excellent. Both fine shows, let me say. Um, since going blind, I've found that it hasn't hampered my enjoyment of gaming, at least as a player. Uh, last year, I did do some GMing, which was a little bit more difficult, especially with game preparation. My questions to you are, have you ever played with a person with a disability? What accommodations were made for, for the player? And what was the result? And what suggestions for making it easier for someone who is blind to GM a game. Thanks in advance. Keep up the good work. Blind Mike. P.S. Uh, drink, but don't get blind drunk. Uh. <laughs> Sense of humor from Blind Mike. Thank Love you. It. Cheers Love to it. you. Mm. Uh, I have I have no suggestions. It's never even occurred to me that what to do in a situation like that. Um, I haven't played with very many handicapped players. I can only think of maybe one, and I wasn't there, but I think she came in for some of the some of the uh, JackerCon games or for the twenty four hours. I think she's in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. but but that's fairly easy because you can still sit at a table. That, that, that's that's not really affecting the game in ways that right uh, the assumptions of, of of things that we can do when we're playing a role playing game. And mm-hmm. I racked my brain because we haven't we, we haven't had anyone who is either hearing or sight impaired. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in, and we have people who don't listen, but that's different. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sitting right here. I like feel like we all just got attacked right yeah, now. I know. Like uh-huh. I feel like we've all been guilty of, of zoning out in a game. Oh sure. Um, I'll admit <laughs> I, it. I, I feel like it was one of those Three Stooges moments where he just went. Pa, 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 all three of us. You know, I started. I started. I started doing some research to see what kind of tools are out there for this kind of thing, and and you know, there's some assumptions that I, I instantly started making, and then I realized this guy's only been blind for two years. He probably, if he's learning Braille, he probably may not be, know it very well. And holy shit, are Braille printers and typewriters fucking expensive? Obviously, the market is very small, so there's not not a huge amount of demand for them. But wow, thousands of dollars to buy a, a Braille printer. If I know that, you can read Braille. And I know that there's auditory reader things that will take text and, and read it, sort of in robot voice and right. stuff. But, so you could have your rule books read to you and such. But I really, I've never delved into it. I can't tell you how accurate they are, whether it works on a PDF. Uh, I don't know. I really don't right. know. And then maybe that's a really interesting topic that our listeners could help us out with. And maybe maybe a forum thing, because I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, I would look at maybe very collaborative games so that the players can take some of the onus off of the GM and really kind of make it more about collaborative storytelling and maybe less about the GM and the players. Um, that's really the only advice I can think of is relying on your players. I mean, if they're, they're playing at your table, they're going to support you anyway. Why not use every tool you have, including them? 
Right. Totally. I was diving down the rabbit hole a little bit when I saw this question was coming up tonight um, on, like, there's, like, subreddits. Um, there's actually a whole blind gamer subreddit on uh, on Reddit, too. So I know there's some resources and a lot of other gamers out there. I didn't go deep dive like I probably should have spent a little more time. But, I mean, there are other folks I know to, to find some resources from. But I honestly have not either um, having to do with different accommodations for anybody who was um, had any impairments for the site. Other than my own personal, I can't see things close up sometimes, but... <laughs> I need to be careful how I say this, because I don't mean it to be funny, but it's going to sound funny. If you're blind, and there's stuff on the internet about how to do it, how do you even go and find that? Oh, that's you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, like that's built into most operating systems. There, there's yeah. there's, there's text okay. to stuff, and stuff. Even yeah. on Even on Adobe Acrobat does have a reading thing on it, because sometimes I have it where it will read me my, my stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to find pertinent information <laughs> if you can see I can't even imagine blind and again see it shows the depths of my ignorance how I haven't even thought about this yet about how how you could solve that so I think some of our listeners of can, can help us out with this and yeah, yeah this may be one of those things where you put it out to the, the community and they give us some ideas the, the only thing I thought of when I was when I was researching this is is I mean I think if I were in the situation I would want to I would probably be relying on speech to text and and text to speech, so I could write notes out and then have them read back, and maybe have a laptop with a microphone in my ear, so the players aren't hearing my secret notes mm-hmm. as things are going on. But then there's the problem of being able to organize that stuff and getting to it quickly right, as well, because you, you need to be able to do that. And you know, we rely so much on sight to do that; you don't even realize it. So, I mean, that was about the only thing I could think of. But if anyone out there has has gamed with a, a, a blind person or has a GM who's blind, I would love to hear what they do. Now, it could be, I mean, if you're, it depends how you GM, too. If you're playing a game that you're very familiar with, you probably don't need to look in the rulebook too much. If it's, I mean, if I was running, if I was running a GURPS game in 1993, I would, I could take the book and shred it and be able to run the game without a problem. Uh, and then if you're a very improvisational GM, there again, you don't need to, ha- to write down a bunch of notes and have a bunch of prep. The only thing you're going to have to have is stats for your monsters and things like that. And and, and I imagine you're gonna, probably you're going to have to rely on some kind of dictation, uh, text-to-speech application of some sort. So I'm also really curious now that since a lot of us are remote gaming with everybody right now in the midst of the pandemic and stuff too, what, how that's affected things as well. Because I think you're having different accommodations, obviously, versus an in-person game versus an online game, and and what games are best. So maybe we put out like, what games do you think are best? What do you recommend? What have you all played? If you have played with differently abled players, um, and and what's the result? I'm super curious now too. So I will put it back out to the people. Uh, again. Some, someone just gave us a link here. Uh, a couple people, Erica Odd and um, Shovexani. Oh, yeah, both mentioned dotsrpg.com, D-O-T-S-R-P-G.com, and the, they're, they have Braille dice. Uh, I'm looking I'm, I'm look under re- resources. What else do they have? Uh, well, you're going through that. The, the one thing that really popped into my head <laughs> is to have a co-GM if you're blind or deaf and GMing, because... Um, I I like co-GMs anyway because they just speed up the game and it's always nice to have someone else to help you know bounce ideas off of. But as I've gone, I've broken record. But I certainly, 
you know, you can still be, you can still have a co-GM and he can take care of things or they can take care of things of, like, handing character sheets, you know, uh, making sure everybody's honest with their dice, all of that stuff. Well, you know, yeah, I think that that would also solve some things. And co-GMing is great. It's a lot of fun because you're not creating in a vacuum. You know, you're, you're working together to help build the story. And you'd be surprised at how having just another voice in world creation helps expand the world a lot. Like if I was co-GMing with Kurt, we'd have flying ships with, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, yeah, it would be fun. Game would be boss. Can't, could you co-GM with Kurt and let me play in that game? <laughs> like, I will absolutely use you as my in into that game. <laughs> I would also like to get in on this game, uh, <laughs> mostly because I like flying things and ships flying. Sounds like everything I wanted. It's like Peter Pan at Disneyland. <laughs> I'm ready. My body is ready. Right? Stu's, Stu's big blue monkey game was that way. Right. Really? <laughs> well, it, it was very, it was very 1950 space stuff. Like you know, when you, if you you had a ship that would take you to the moon, and if you fell off the ship, it, you just fell down. Like forever, you just kept falling down. Down was, you know. It's that way. It's the infinite. way it always. It's, it's the way, way it is everywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. And you could breathe in space. You, I mean, I, when you get to the outer planets, you might want to take a warm jacket. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had Bruce in the group, and he couldn't get past the fact that down. Was, Poor guy's a rocket scientist. He's like his brain just went all over the room. So we have to do the game. Wait a minute. What way is down again? <laughs> now, the important question is social status determined by the size of the rings on your arms or the amount of rings on your arms? It was, he, his was very, um, um, English. It, it was sort of, it was, it was English admiralty, right? It was it, it very naval, English naval tradition. Okay. So was it how many rings on your arm or how big the rings were on your arm? How big your epaulets were. I yeah, epaulets. Yeah, with the mm. with the fringe or not? Well, I like epaulets with the fringe on top. Yes, <laughs> shiny little epaulets with a fringe on um, the top. Dun 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 dun. Don't private. you wish you could go on forever? Privates and lieutenants better scurry. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so much music theater. I love you guys. Started mm. with Broadway, we're coming back around again. Here for mm. it. So I'm available yeah. for Broadway once it opens up again. If anybody's hiring, you know, uh, let, if if there's any listeners, um, get, getting back to Mike's email, if there's any listeners out there who have this, please write in and, and I'll, I'm going to see if I can contact this dots dot dotsrpg dot org. I wonder if we could have have someone come come in from there who would actually be able to answer this question. It's a, I love that. It's a great <laughs> yes, topic. Yes, please. It's a great topic. That would be great. So I'll see if that's possible. I'll send them an email and see if they can. Maybe we'll do it. All right. Okay. One so, of my one of the like things I think that's been like a weird positive or not weird, but a positive out of this you know mayhem of the time right now is like actually thinking about accommodations because everybody needs them at this point um, for dealing with with the world. And I feel like our we get to be our eyes get to be open um, about what options are available for more people. And uh, I hope we continue that conversation past the pandemic and whatnot um, mm-hmm. about accessibility for more people. It's been exciting to have and connect with people in game who maybe can't leave their homes. And uh, it's been pretty great. I'm optimistic. It has. I mean, we, 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 I think we owe it to the hobby to, to, to be as accessible and as inclusive as we possibly can. 
Yeah. And this is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that <laughs> I went on, I'm like, oh, I, I, I know nothing about this and I can't find anything about this. You know what, Blind, Blind Mike? I really, I hope you're listening. I really thank you for this topic. It's given us something to chew on and I think, keep listening because I think we're going to do some research and maybe we'll come back with much better answers or even an answer for you. Actual answer. <laughs> <laughs> You've really opened our eyes. It's a really great question um, and we're going to look into it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else anyone want to talk about before we uh, sign off? Going once. Uh, well, if this is a time for a shameless plug, I will shameless plug. Do it. Uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. I will be uh, performing in a Zoom stage reading of The Lion in Winter. Um, oh, cool. Through Alchemy Theater Company, who's based out of Orange County. Uh, you can get info on the performance at info at alchemytheater.com. And uh, I'll be playing Philippa France, so I get to be all sassy and snarky and soups gay, and it's amazing. And it's you? So I know. Who plays it's such a movie? stretch. Wow. Uh, Timothy Dalton. That was the Timothy Dalton. Dalton. Okay, yeah. so he was he was one of the, the one of the sons. Yeah. No, he's the Prince of France. That's wow. Or the King of France. I'm sorry, the King of France. The King of France and forty thousand men. Brilliant. Oh my so, God, I want to watch it out. this, Joey. When it's is this? Uh, Saturday next Saturday at seven p.m. Great. You know, yep. stage readings. I, I've only been to two in my life. I don't remember what the first one was, but it wasn't like when I was in like college. But I went to another one, and it was a reading of Salome. Ooh! Oh yes! And it had had a real big name playing the main character, and it, it's one of his favorite plays, and he does it on stage a lot. Uh, is it Al Pacino? Is it probably is, it Al, is Al Pacino in Salome? I, I can't. I, I want to say funny. <laughs> It's probably him. Yeah, he was in the film. Oh, he was. Okay, it probably was. And I think he might have been drunk. But I'm not positive. Probably. I'm not positive. (laughs) Hard to tell with him. There's a lot of chemicals going through that guy. But it was a a reading, so they're all sitting down with basically with music stands with the script. And I had a blast. Obviously, it's a, a much easier production than an actual full blown thing. But I concentrated on. Because that, that's Oscar Wilde. It's like Radio right? Play Live. That's what I feel about them when you yeah. go to a good reading. Right. Very I did much. two readings last weekend. I did a play and a, and a TV pilot reading last week on Zoom. And one was a fundraiser um, for, some, for COVID action. And it was really fun. And it totally felt that way. It was like a radio play for sure. Yeah, it is. And, and Get into it that way and visualize things in a different way. Yeah. I like I've been it. watching a lot of the actors' fun, and they've been doing plays in the house. It's called Stars in the House, and they've been, yeah. doing, I've been watching it like they do it twice a day. I'm watching every one of them. But again, they've been doing these staged plays or, or readings with very famous people, and some of them are just great. Yeah. And again, it's you think, oh, it's a stodgy play. How can it work? It's like if you can listen to an auditory book, if you can listen to someone read you Harry Potter, you can listen to a play. And Jim Dale play is designed to be that. Yes, way. yes, well. Jim Dale. Yeah, Jim Dale. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. For the win, I, oh. I, I'm going. I've, I'm right now because the the new Dresden Files book comes out in July. I'm going through the what 15 books in the series so far. I'm about halfway through it now, and this is probably my fifth time reading them or yeah. listen, wow. listening to them on Audible. So you're getting on your on your ride to work. You're listening yeah. to uh, Dresden yeah. Files. Yeah, they're they're in back. Great stories are great stories, and if mm-hmm. you want to listen to great stories, you'll find a way to consume them, right? So, yep, one hundred percent, love it's it. Just, it's all storytelling, from RPGs to plays to movies to sitting down and reading a book. It's all storytelling. 
and having someone tell you a story. It's and what's, yeah. what's great about that is theme. each hobby helps the other hobby. It's true. Mm-hmm. Like I've taken so much from acting and put it into RPGs, and so much mm-hmm. from RPGs and put it into acting. It's it's all it's all the same. So like expand your horizons if you're an RPG player, and mm-hmm. you know write a play, go see a play, go audition for a play, and vice versa. And it'll you'll see how much of those tools are exactly the same, and getting to flex them in a different way helps you completely in every aspect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a well told story is a well told story, rather regardless of the medium. At, at the end of the day, that's all we're doing is we're telling and listening to stories. Totally. Which I love. I, I'm three about three chapters away from finishing my novel. Ooh. Yay! I, Will it be available on audio? I, I'm, I'm planning on, on reading it or recording myself reading it chapter by chapter and putting it up as a podcast. Yes! That's, my so, that's awesome, Stu. Congrats. This is the first time I've written a novel where I sat down and outlined the entire story first, which is coincidentally why I've gotten so close to finishing it. (laughs) What, you had a plan? Right? What a novel concept. (laughs) I mean, the the whole story was outlined in a page and a half, and I'm like, I started writing it, I'm like, I think I just accidentally wrote myself into a hole. So I went back, erased everything I wrote, and I wrote out an outline. I'm like, okay, now I know what's going to happen. And I haven't even had to look at it. I just I, now I in my head I just know what, what direction it's going and I know when to foreshadow stuff. And every like book that. on writing I've ever read or every writer I've ever talked to says outlines, and some of them are uh, like you where it's just a loose, it's a skeleton, right. it's a roadmap. Some of them are are really detailed, but every one of them at the end of the day, they some of them railed about it for a long time. Ah, I don't need an outline, ah, yada yada, and eventually they all oh, yeah, start with outlines. Helps. It helps, right. mm-hmm. you know. And it's again even with RPG games, having an outline of where you want your story to go helps a lot in keeping you focused and keeping your players you know, focused even too. It's yeah, and just, but also still being flexible, just knowing that that's not the end though. Because I think that's the key, especially, you know, in a good role play game, it's like you can make take all the best notes possible, but your players may take you someplace that you have not even envisioned yet. Do you know what I mean though? Like or like had in your mind and they're coming up with as you say their imaginations, you know, taking them forth. You're like, well, you've given me gold and taking that, that's some of the, one of the things I think of from improv is like, you know, taking the yes and like, okay, they gave me some new information. I'm going to modify that and being like able to mold it and shape that and change my direction, uh, I think is really important too. Yeah. yeah that's that that's kind of a great, a and great thing and a great DGM is being able to do that. Because you've all been in those games where you realize halfway through, oh, this isn't a game. The GM was just writing a novel and wanted us to play through his novel. Oh, it's I, a dramatic I reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's like watching you know, Solomon. There's, there's many an author too who started with an outline, and as they write, things started fleshing out, and they had to come up with another outline. Oh, sure, maybe for another novel <laughs> because things just got out of control. They started to flesh. I got flesh two or three. I got but two or three chapters in, and I'm I, I stopped. And I went, okay, wait a second. No, I just introduced this thing. I need to like introduce this thing earlier. So I went back and modified it a little bit, and then I went and rewrote half of the chapter. And, and you could change your outline or add another or flesh sure. out your outline <laughs> as things go on too. But that's still you have that roadmap, you know? Right. And I mean, and, and that's very different from GMing. Because <laughs> game Sorta. prep, game prep does not write a novel. <laughs> I know that for a fact. <laughs> All right, no, but you're crowdsourcing your your, your novel well, because at that right. point, after the end of the game, then you write your novel because the players have solved it for you. What were the, the that seems like plagiarism times? to me? 
No, the Dragonlance. No. Nah. <laughs> that's how a lot of people write. I mean, that's how like a lot of you know films have been made is is improv and and actors adding lines in and and stuff changes. Right. Is live, you know. Um, finding stuff that fits in their own mouths that maybe is clunky language, like it's changed and modified. I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's I think true. that actually happens quite often. And, and depending on how people work creatively, like you said, everyone's kind of got their different come to, come from and how they end up, you know, creating something. Some people are are more collaborative and they need that input to create the thing. While some people are solo, you know, auteurs and whatnot. So I, I guess just, you to figure out your style and how you're gonna how you're gonna. Uh, I was just watching it. a. a- sort of a documentary or interview with um, uh, some of the creators of, her, of the first Iron Man movie and they were writing it as they were shooting it and a lot of it was Robert Downey and, and John Favreau and um, God, I can't, just went up on his name um, Oscar Wilde the dude uh, they were all getting together in the trailer and coming up with lines and stuff and, and, and then rewriting it as they went and the movie is very very good but that's they started with their script and then they used that as an outline to fill it in for themselves and you I know that there are some people, like Hitchcock, I think, was stuck to his words. You had to say it as it was written on the page. And then there's other people that are like, ah, this is only an outline. Shoot, and That's like Sorkin versus like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Do you know there what I mean? Like, yeah. In a Sorkin script, you're learning that verbatim, verbatim. And if you don't do a verbatim, you're not on the show anymore. Do you know what right. I mean? Though? But if you're right. like in Curb Your Enthusiasm, they literally just give an outline. They have things yeah. that they want to land at, but they, yeah. it's literally just, it's literally an outline. It's not a full script. And so I think it depends on, like, like we said, the art, the auteur, the author, how they want to work. And yeah, at the end of the day, you're telling a good story. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go ahead and end, end the end this. Oh, I didn't record. I'll have to pull this off YouTube. Damn. Oh no. No, I do. I got to pull all the all the APs off YouTube anyway. So. No, I do oh. that Once every three weeks. <laughs> oh, still. <laughs> oh shit. Thank you for joining us for season 26, episode 19 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. <laughs> I'm Joey. I'm Terry. <laughs> and we'll see you next week, Friday, 7 p.m. ish Pacific time. HappyJacks.org slash lives. And until then, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Bye. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.